I want you to start with Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23 verse 9. Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Right? So we did the father's blessing. The father's blessing does not mean that Francis is your father and I'm your father. Okay? So we must understand this in proper context of what the kingdom of God is ordered as. We have one father. Even Paul said, you have one father. That is God himself. And I see this a lot in India, third world countries, where believers have a tendency to look to men. We have a tendency to depend on men. We have a tendency to look to men to be the source of our encouragement, the source of our financial support. And as long as we keep on looking to men, before we look first to the Heavenly Father, there will always be this sense of weakness, inferiority, and lack in our lives. So, even though we minister to you the Father's blessing, and as a pastor, I am like a father. I'm not your father, but I'm like a father. And yes, you will have people who will be like a spiritual father to you. And you have one earthly father, yet the true father, who is the source, the word father also means source, the source of all your strength, your life, your joy, your sustenance, your provision, your future, is your father in heaven. And I tell you this, the greatest strength you will discover in your walk with God in faith is when you begin to see God as your father and you connect to him as your father. And every time you have lack, you look to him as your father. Every time you have confusion, you look to him to give you wisdom and counsel and advice. I tell you, you will enter into a deep place of strength and security where you will not be moved no matter what the circumstance and you will not be affected by whether people like you, whether people don't like you, whether people approve of you or not, whether people want to control you, manipulate you. Because God is your father. And my job is not to make you like spiritual sons and daughters. My, that's not my job. My job is to connect you to the Father. And the job of true teachers is always to connect you to the Father. It's not to replace your Father. Because you have one Father. Amen? Amen. So understand this. Yes, in the sense we are spiritual fathers because we are teaching you. We are being examples to you. But... We are never to take the place of that devotion, that love, that faith, that affection that is only for Father God. That trust that you give, which is only for Father God. Amen? Because I see an unhealthy spirit in the body of Christ where some people like to be called spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers. And some people like to always have, this is my spiritual father, this is my spiritual mother. And yes, there's a basic order and a basic sense in that which is fine, but it is manipulated. It is going extreme, even in the body of Christ here in Nagaland and even around the world. Okay, so call no man your father, except your father in heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, as a spiritual father we are. 
But I can be a father only to my son and daughter. And maybe one or two whom the Lord would bring specifically, personally in my life. But in terms of having a father-son relationship, a father-daughter relationship, at that intimate level, I cannot give to everyone. Why? Because it is impossible. No man can give to you too. So we have to learn to just trust in Father God. Are you with me? Amen. All right. We're going to talk about grace. And I'm going to start not from the notes. So keep aside your notes. And you're going to start from the Bible. Okay. All right. What is the heart and essence of the gospel? What is the gospel? Can somebody just say? What is the gospel to you? The good news of Jesus Christ. Okay. Somebody said the word of God. Okay. Anyone else? Testimony of Jesus. All right. Power of God. Okay. One more. Anyone? What is the gospel? Grace. Okay. All right. Of course, we can lump all of that into the complete gospel expression. The word gospel literally means good news. Good news, properly translated, would be good news which is too good to be true. Profoundly good news. Awesome good news. Amazing good news. Okay? So we're going to start from the understanding of the gospel, and then we're going to come to the understanding of the heart and essence of the gospel, which is obviously grace. Okay? All right. Now, I've observed and seen and studied that for many believers, their Christian experience, their church experience has been one which has been motivated by guilt, condemnation, and fear. So many people would say, go to church, otherwise God will be angry with you. If you go to church, God is pleased. Hey, pray, because if you don't pray, things will happen. Hey, make sure you go and fast. Because if you go and fast, God will be pleased with you. If you don't, bad things will happen to you. How many of you have heard such conversations? Can I see your hands? How many of you, in the past, when you went to church, you were motivated more by fear than by love? That if you didn't go, bad things will happen. Can I see your hands? So, if you would really reflect on your Christian experience, some of you may not be from Christian backgrounds, but even then, in other faiths also, our religiosity, our desire to pray, many times is motivated by fear or by guilt. I feel bad I haven't gone to church for two Sundays. Right? Guilty feeling. How many of you, when you don't read the Bible, you feel guilty? So guilt, fear, condemnation seems to be the primary motivating emotions or factors that causes Christians to seek a spiritual life, to seek to know God from our tradition and from our culture. Why is that so? And many times, pastors will also motivate you out of fear and guilt. Shame on you. You call yourself a Christian and you don't come to church, right? Shame on you. You call yourself a Christian and you don't read the Bible. You don't give money to the tithes, offering to the church. So even when you give tithes and offerings, it's out of fear. It's out of guilt. Do you agree? Okay. So why is this? Do you think this is the way God wants us to approach Him? Have a relationship with Him? 
What do you think? Do you think God is in heaven counting how many Sundays you've attended? These people, they don't even go to church. Let me, let, let me straighten them out. Do you think God is doing that? Do you think God, oh, I'm so happy. She came to church today. Do you think God is doing that? But yet, the way we behave is as if God is happy when we go to church and happy when we don't come to church. He's moody depending on our church attendance. Why we have these wrong motivations is because of a lack of understanding of the gospel. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 verses 1 to 3. Okay, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version of the Bible. Okay, but you follow it in your Bible. From Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, called to be an apostle, a special messenger, set apart to preach the gospel or the good news of and from God. Verse 2. Let's read together verse 2 and 3. Ready? 1, 2, 3. Which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Let's break down these verses. Paul says he is an apostle or a specially sent messenger who is separated, that means specifically called by God to preach the gospel of God. The word of, you know what it means? It means origin. Akone is of Nagaland. Because the origin of Akone is Nagaland. So the gospel of God means it's good news. The word gospel means good news. Okay. But the good news is not from TV. It's not from novels. It's not from another man. It's a good news where the source is directly from God. So the gospel is God's message to mankind. The gospel is what God wants to broadcast to mankind. If there was a CNN in heaven that was broadcasting on the earth, it would be always proclaiming 24 hours, 7 days a week, the gospel only. Not Ukraine. Not COVID, the gospel, the good news. Because the source of the good news is God, verse 2, which he promised in advance. God promised in advance. So the gospel did not begin with Paul. The gospel did not begin in the New Testament. Make sure we're taking these notes. I'm making very, very important statements. The gospel did not begin in the New Testament. Bible says he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So when Paul is saying the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, in Paul's time, there was no Bible. The New Testament was not completely compiled. So Paul was referring to the Old Testament. The major prophets, the minor prophets, of course, they were not called major or minor in, that, in those days. He was referring to the book of Psalms. He was referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And Paul is saying here, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that the gospel was promised by God in the Holy Scriptures. That means in the Old Testament, the gospel was already there. So the gospel did not begin in the New Testament. 
Now, in your Bible, it is written the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, Mark, and John, right? That was not written by Matthew as a gospel. Matthew only wrote it as an account of the story of Jesus Christ. The word gospel was added by Bible translators. And it confuses us because we think the gospel now starts from the New Testament. But the gospel began from Genesis. And the gospel ends in Revelations. That means the entire Bible has one message. The entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelations, has one major message, one core message, one theme. And that is the redemption of mankind through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Did you follow? The redemption of mankind through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. So go back to Romans again. It is promised. That means God, from the very beginning, began the process of speaking the gospel. He spoke, he promised, he kept on saying to the prophets. He kept on saying to the men of God in the Old Testament. And it was already there, concealed, hidden, as a mystery in the Old Testament. Okay, verse 3. What does the gospel concern? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. The gospel is good news from God, promised well in advance in the Bible, and it concerns this one message about his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. The Bible has one message, and the message of the Bible is this. Jesus Christ is coming to die for your sins, to be raised from the dead, and if you believe in him, you will have redemption, salvation from God. That's it. From the beginning to the end, it's that one message. So the good news, see, because many people have many opinions about the gospel. Sometimes people say the gospel tells us about the holiness of God. Sometimes preachers on the pulpit, I've heard them say, well, as a Christian, you should not be smoking, you should not be committing abortion, and that is the gospel. Have you heard someone say that? That is not the gospel. Now, when they say that is the gospel, they mean that that is the truth. But they should qualify and say that is the truth. They should not say that is the gospel. Because the gospel has a very specific meaning and unless we understand that, our relationship with God and the whole basis of our Christian life becomes misplaced. So what is the gospel? Some say the heart of the gospel is to teach us a standard of living, a new way of living life. Some say the gospel is about how we can become better people, how we can transform the world, how we can change society. But the gospel has one message, and it's about Jesus Christ. Amen? See, all of those things can happen through the gospel. Transformation, change lives. But the gospel, the heart and the essence, the primary target, the primary point where the gospel always focuses us on is about Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Hallelujah. So listen to this. Let's break it down. Gospel is good news, which has come from God. There throughout the scriptures, and it is focused about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. So, even though the Bible is the gospel is good news, it is good news concerning Jesus Christ. It is not just good news. Are you following? See, not everything in the Bible is good news. Did you know that? Not everything in the Bible is good news. Sometimes there's good advice in the Bible. Sometimes the Bible has stories and accounts of people's lives. Sometimes there are stories of how God judged Israel because they broke the law. There are places where God says, if you don't keep my voice, my commandments, this curse shall come upon you. So, even though the Bible is from God, and the Bible is written by God, not everything in the Bible is the gospel. So to really understand the Bible, you have to be able to interpret the Bible and get the main message that God wants to bring forth to mankind because there are many other accounts which are all true, but they are not the gospel. Have you heard people say this in funerals? The Lord has given and the Lord taketh away. Yes, from the book of Job, right? Is that the gospel? Come on, tell me. Is that, is that said by God or it was said by a man? Huh? It was said by man. That is not truth. But yet, so many pastors quote that in funerals. Because they did not understand whether, even though a man quoted it, whether it was from God. Whether that man had a revelation from God. Because God himself comes and refutes that man a few chapters down in the book of Job. God says this man is speaking untruth. The man who said the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. God said that man is speaking untruth. Not literally the way I said it. And yet so many pastors and preachers quote that. You know why? Because we are not able to divide the Bible. Who said what? When did they say it? In what context? What they said? Was it from God? Or was it their own statement? So we just lump everything up. We mix it up. And we get kichiri. Right? And we eat kichiri every day. You get indigestion. Amen. So not everything in the Bible is good news. There's a tremendous lack of understanding concerning the heart or the core message or the essence of the gospel. Not only in the people of the world, but sadly even in the church. Even among preachers, pastors, theologians. How do I say that? What gives me the boldness to make the statement? Simply this. The large percentage of believers who live in constant fear, turmoil, condemnation, guilt and fear. Do you know that? In America, about 70% of the poverty depressed pills. 70% also means a large percent of Christians are also on antidepressant pills. If you're going to church every Sunday and you are a believer, your faith in Christ should make a big change in your day-to-day -day life, in your heart. If you say you are a Christian, you go to church, but it has no difference in your heart, your life, your emotional health, then something is wrong with what you've been hearing in church. And I can say the same here in Nagaland. 
So many believers living in guilt, fear, and condemnation every day. You know what that means? It means they are not hearing the gospel. They go to church, they hear a message, maybe a message of condemnation, a message of um, negativity, the message that criticizes things here and there, a message from the Bible, which is a hodgepodge, but they're not hearing the gospel. And so if your life is motivated by fear, ah, if I don't go to church, I feel guilty. If I don't read the Bible, I feel guilty. Condemnation and guilt drives you to prayer houses. You know what that means? It means you don't know the gospel. So what I want to do in this class is, let's go back to class A. Let's relearn everything. Let's kill all those religious cows. Not only in other faiths, Christianity has lots of religious cows that need to be killed. Amen? Why are so many believers living in constant guilt, fear, and condemnation? Where does it come from? Let me give you some reasons which I think that guilt, condemnation comes from. Number one, it comes from sin consciousness. You're always focused about your sins. And sometimes the preachers will always focus you back on your sins. Messages which are always putting guilt on people, making people conscious of their sins without presenting the good news of the solution. Sin consciousness. Secondly, it's tradition. Tradition, church traditions. Traditions that say that if you don't go to church, something bad will happen in the week. If you don't give your tithes, God's not happy with you and, you know, some things will be taken away from you. Church traditions. Third, lack of knowledge of the word of God. Fourth, doctrines of the church. Some wrong doctrines which are focused on legalism, negativity, the law, and I would also say a religious spirit which you see a lot in Nagaland where there is such a desire for people to be religious, to be Christian, but without knowledge. So it's more out of the flesh, what people think, what people say. So they practice their faith more on their feelings, some religious practices that are happening without it being based in the word of God. For example, some people say in Nagaland, even pastors, teach, uh, you should not get married in February. How many of you have heard that? Huh? Can you see hands? Come on, just keep your hands raised. You should not get married in February. I was like, what? Thank God. I was never in Nagaland. I was always studying outside, so I had none of this nonsense in me. So when I would hear some passages, you should not get married in February, I was like, why? Oh, because it's a short month. Short month, 28 days only. So short month means unlucky month. Superstition, which comes from... And I was like... We are Christians. We don't live anymore by such superstitions. And yet, they are so afraid. Because the pastor said, the believers, even though they know the word, they are so afraid to get married in February. I was like, nonsense. Get married in February. Like during funerals, oh, the head must go out of the house first. Or the leg goes out first. If leg goes out, bad luck. If head goes out, good luck. Have you, have you, Christians! 150 years in Christianity talking those things. What's that? It's called religious spirit. When they say, they look, they sound very religious. Oh, yes, careful. Oh, head first, leg first. Oh, face the sun, don't face the sun. They sound so spiritual, but it's all nonsense. Now, 
There is a need to have reverence for the dead bodies. There's a need to have reverence and respect. But it should come out from faith in the word of God. Not just from religious, traditional, religious practices which have no foundation in the word. Amen? So the guilt, fear, condemnation comes from such beliefs. Sometimes we mix our old wives' fables, old cultural beliefs along with what we are practicing in Christianity. So it's time to kill all those things. Amen? It's time to kill. Because they are limiting your faith. They're hindering you in your walk with God. What is the meaning of essence or the heart? The word essence or the heart simply means the true substance, the true nature. What a thing is constituted of. If you buy bread, it is made of flour. You can have bread in so many different shapes. You can have croissants, you can have bread, you can have patties, you can have so many different shapes and colors, but the constitution is one thing. It is flour. You can have biscuits, you can have cookies, you can make the cookies blue, pink, green, right? Now this. But the main thing in all of those is the same. It's called atta. So the gospel what is the main essence, the constitution of the gospel? It can be in songs, it can be in books. The gospel is there in Lord of the Rings. Did you know that? Have you seen the movie, The Lord of the Rings? Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia? The gospel is there. The gospel is there in songs. The gospel is there in some books, fictional books. The gospel is there in the sermon. But some sermons don't have the gospel. Just like you have fake food nowadays. So you have to be able to... Mm -mm. This sermon doesn't have the gospel. You should be able, by the end of this class, discern preachings you hear. This is not organic food. This is fake food. And you should reject it. Because according to the food you eat is your spiritual health, right? If you eat... Chips every day, you'll be healthy or not? Huh? You won't be healthy. You may look big and bloated up, but you will not be healthy. But if you eat healthy food, organic food, straight from the village, straight from the farm, straight from the garden, you eat every day, you'll be healthy. So you should be able to know this food that this preacher is preaching. Is it the gospel or not? So that you can eat the right food yourself. Amen? See, a lot of Christian TV is not gospel. Did you know that? A lot of books you find in Christian bookstore is not gospel. When I was a young believer, I would go and take any book. I was so hungry for God. Just buy any book and read, read, read. And some books confused me so much. Some books, by the time I read it, I didn't want to pray anymore. I lost all faith. Because they're like, ah, oh, does God heal? I don't know. This man says this. This man says this. This teaching says that. This doctor. But I don't know. I'm just presenting you what everyone says. I'm not sure myself whether God heals or not. The author is saying that. So by the end of that book, I have no more faith. But because of my hunger, I would just buy any book and read it. And some authors only want to speak bad of other preachers and other authors. So after some time, God began to teach me, don't read that nonsense. But... But Lord, it's in your name. They wrote in your name. Just because they wrote that book in the name of Jesus does not mean God has blessed that book. 
Are you with me? And just because someone is preaching in the name of Jesus doesn't mean God is blessing that sermon. So I've learned to discern that not everything in Christian bookstores is from God. Some things are just nonsense. You should be able to just chuck them in the basket. Amen? Hallelujah. Some messages which are motivational strong are not the gospel. So we have to learn how to judge the gospel. How do we judge? By the fruit it produces in your life and the life of people. If the majority of the church is always struggling with guilt and fear and condemnation, example, the church of Nagaland, what is the problem? The problem is they're not hearing the gospel. The gospel is not being preached in the churches. What's being preached? Tradition, doctrine, culture, denominational beliefs, but not the gospel. Amen? Hallelujah. So what's the heart and essence of the gospel? All right? Okay, turn to Revelation chapter 4, verse 6 to 8. I read from the Amplified Bible. And in front of the throne, there was also what looked like a transparent glassy sea, as if of crystal. And around the throne, transparent glassy sea. Okay, I was reading the account of a man who died and went to heaven. And he was writing about this transparent glassy sea. And in his account, he was in heaven, he died. He says, it's not, on, it's not glassy, it's actually liquid glassy form. It's, it's living sea. It was an amazing phenomenon. And in fact, he was saying in his book that when people in heaven, they worship, all the worship goes inside God. When people on earth pray, our prayers go inside him. When I began to see those things that he wrote, I was like, my. It changed the heart by which I pray and worship. When you pray and worship, be more conscious of what is happening in the spirit than what is happening in the room. The loudness, the song, that's secondary. What's happening in the spirit is more important. Amen. In the center at each side of the throne were four living creatures, underline that, who were full of eyes in front and behind. With intelligence as to what is before and at the rear of them. Full of eyes in front and behind. So, you don't want to see these creatures in the dark outside your house. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature had a face of a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now, you can see this in Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 10 also. Don't turn there. Just put the reference down. Ezekiel 1 10. And the four living creatures individually had six wings, were full of eyes all over and within, underneath the wings, and day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Okay, so picture this. Around the throne of God, there are four living creatures, and one thing that defines them is that all of them have eyes in front and behind and all over. So they are the cherubim that are created with a specific purpose. And that is to protect the glory of God in the throne room of God. And they have eyes that see everywhere. And those eyes were created to also see the glory of God. See. And every time they see the glory of God, they shout. They say. The Bible is not saying they sing. They are saying holy, holy, holy. The word holy means different. Completely different. That means, even though I'm created in the image of God, 
I'm not like God, God's not like me. He's completely different. So when we sing holy, 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 we are saying more than pure. It's not just purity. The word holy means there's nothing I know in this world that can compare to God. He's completely different. So vast, so different from me. So incomparable. The only thing that I can say is holy. Holy. Amen. And the other thing that defines these four creatures is this. One is the face of a lion. One the face of an ox. The face of a man. And the face of a flying eagle. Okay. All right. These are the four faces of Jesus. It is widely accepted by biblical scholars that the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, correspond to the four beasts in Revelation with the four faces. And when we go through this, you will understand that it's all referring to Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of Jesus. First, the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew corresponds to the lion. So you can write Matthew equals lion. Okay. So the book of Matthew was written to the Jews for a Jewish audience who needed to accept Jesus as the king of the Jews. So you will see in the phrase that Matthew uses in the book of Matthew, the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews, the kingdom of God. And the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 that Matthew gives about Jesus, he traces it all the way through David back to Abraham. Because the Jews, very important for them. Number one, Abraham. Because they believe they came from Abraham. And number two, David. Because they believe the kingdom of David would be established in Jerusalem in the future. So, Jesus, to be the Messiah, accepted by the Jews, have to come from David and have to be traced all the way back to Abraham and also have to come from the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe, so that he is accepted as king. And that's why the face of a lion, because the lion is a beast, which is a royal beast. Right? So Jesus is revealed here in Matthew as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Matthew reveals Jesus as the king so that the Jews can accept him. The book of Mark, very interesting, written for a Gentile audience. It was not written for Jews. And in the book of Mark, Jesus is personified as the servant. There's no genealogy. There's no family history written in the book of Mark. And you see the phrase a lot in the book of Mark. Immediately, immediately, and very quickly, immediately. Why? That's the attitude of a servant. When you call a servant, they must come immediately. And the Bible keeps on saying in the book of Mark, immediately Jesus went here. Immediately Jesus went there. So the book of Mark corresponds to the ox. Everyone say the ox. And Jesus is revealed in the book of Mark as the tireless servant. Servant, Jesus, even though king, has come to serve. In fact, this was the first gospel that was written, even before Matthew. So Jesus, even though we see him as Lord, we must also see him as servant. He has come to serve. See, when you see him as come to serve, then it's easy to receive from him. He has come to serve you joy and peace and healing. 
See, many people find it difficult to receive healing because they feel that they don't deserve. They are this worm. They are this sinner. They have done so many wrong things. I don't deserve. And they think that God, Jesus, he's too holy, he's too pure to be able to give me healing. But Jesus, even though pure, holy deity, has come as a servant to serve. He washed the feet of Peter and the disciples. So you need to let Jesus serve you. One of the biggest things you can do about faith is let Jesus serve you. Because that is one of his rules. Remember what Peter said? No, 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 Jesus. You cannot serve me. I must serve you. You cannot wash my feet. I must wash you, right? And Jesus says, if you don't allow me to do this, you have no part in me. Let Jesus serve you. See him as one come to serve. That's the way we can receive. All right? The third is this, the book of Luke. The book of Luke corresponds to the man. And the book of Luke was written to a Roman audience. Not just Gentiles, but Roman. So Luke gives us the picture of Christ as a man, but he is seen as a perfect man, full of glory, beauty, strength, and dignity. So in the book of Luke, it emphasizes a lot his humanity. But how he functions in his humanity to heal, to deliver. So the book of Luke traces Jesus' genealogy, family history, all the way back to Adam. And he's revealed here as a man. So the face of a man, the four beasts, is in the book of Luke, is the man. And the fourth, the book of John. John, how many of you know the first verse of John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God in the heavens, and he came. It became flesh. So John corresponds to the eagle. Because the eagle is a creature from the heavens. Alright? John corresponds to the eagle. This was a book written to unbelievers. And it presents Jesus Christ as having come from heaven. As the son of God. From God. Is a symbol of royalty and divinity that has come from above. So the four beasts were made to see the glory of God. So when we read the four Gospels, there is a full and continuing revelation of God's glory, His love, His goodness and grace revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, not only in the four Gospels, but in the good news of Jesus Christ, we will see the full measure of the glory of God as seen through the eyes of these four creatures. Are you getting it? The four creatures had eyes to see. To see what? The glory of God. Right? Eyes always seeing the throne of God, seeing the glory of God, and every time they see, wow, holy, holy, holy. It's not like they're seeing the same movie again, you know? It's not like they see Charlotte 20 times, 30 times. No. Every time you see God, there's something new. Because God is full of life. God is not old and boring. God is full of light. That means, you see, imagine that you're one of these four creatures. You are seeing God. And you see beauty, glory, life, light. Amazing, right? All power, wisdom in Him. So, in our human mind, is this, right? I see, I look away, 
and I see again, same, right? Like for example, I see you, I turn away, I see you, same, right? Sometimes we get older. But in God, it's not like that. In God, it's like, I see, I turn away, I see. It's completely new, different, full of light, same, but full of power, full of light, radiating love, radiating life, light, wisdom, glory. Amen. That's why the angels, they would see, wow, wow, wow. Every second, like, wow, 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 wow. See, heaven is not going to be boring. It's full of life. So, the creatures seeing the glory of God. Now, think. The glory of God is in Jesus. And it is seen in the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four creatures. But it is in the full gospel. The glory of God is revealed. The goodness of God. So, the same glory, not in intensity of actual light, but listen to me, the same glory that those four creatures saw, God wants you to see. When you hear the true gospel, when you get a revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, you will see the glory of God. Just like the four creatures see the glory of God. Then we will be like, ah, oh, God, oh, you are different. Then our lives will begin to change. Amen. So that is what we want to happen in this class. Okay. John 14 verse 9, quickly, five minutes more. Jesus says, he that had seen me had seen the Father. Right? John 14. Verse 9, somebody read it quickly. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus says, if you have seen me, if you see Jesus in the Gospels, the Epistles, you will see the glory of the Father. Look at John chapter 1 verse 18. John 1 18. Are you there? Let's read it together. No man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son, ah, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. In the Amplified Bible it says, he has revealed him and brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him. I love that. Jesus interprets God. So Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. Where is the bosom? Everyone show me your bosom. Yeah, right? The closest, dearest things you hold here, right? Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, that means the gospel, which is the message of Jesus Christ, is about Jesus, and Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. That means the gospel is the message that is dearest to the Father. The most valuable, the most precious in the bosom of the Father. In the bosom. The Father declares Jesus. That means in the message of Jesus Christ in the gospel is the most intimate, enduring love song from God to you. This is a love song. You know that? It's a love song. 
It's a love story. It's from the heart. It's not romantic, but it's a love song. When you see love, don't only think chasing girl around the tree. Don't think like that. It's a love song. It's from the heart of the Father, from the bosom of the Father. Amen. Hallelujah. So, one more verse. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, I'll read it in the Amplified. In many separate revelations and in different ways, God spoke in times past to our forefathers in and by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir and honor of all things, and also by and through whom he created the worlds and the expanse of space and the ages of time. Verse 3, Jesus, he is the sole expression of the glory of God. The express image of God in your Bible says, that means if you see Jesus, you see God. Jesus is the perfect photocopy of God. The perfect clone of God. Okay? And in brackets it says in this Bible, the light being, the outraying or radiance of the divine. And he's the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature. So, when you see the gospel, because the gospel is a message about Jesus Christ. When you see the gospel, you get the full revelation of the gospel, you will see the glory of God. The outraying, outraying means from his nature, there is a burst and it's a burst of love. Do you know that God always communicates love? Love. It's not an old message. We read an old Bible. We say, oh, the Bible is 2,000 years old. So we think it's an old message. No, it's a living book. Even right now, do you know in heaven, God is saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Every time you look at his face, it's love, love, love. Every time you feel his presence, it's love, love, love. It is light. Light means truth, understanding. And it is life, life, full of life. There is no death in God. There is no shadows in heaven. Did you know that? On the earth, we have shadows, right? The shadows means there is no light in that area, right? In heaven, there's no shadow. Because there's no darkness. And everywhere, it's light. Because God is full of light. Amen. The outraying of His love. See, many times, we are always wanting to see with the eyes. The love of God. The life. You want to see with the eyes. I tell you, you're looking in the wrong place from the wrong heart, from the wrong area. You got to see for me. You got to get a revelation here. See, you can see the love of God here. You can see the light and the life of God here. Here, from your heart. You got to see it. And the gospel brings a revelation of that. And you will understand that every second, every moment, God communicates. He's speaking. And you don't have to hear from here. You don't have to hear a love song. But you know the gospel is communicating love. And you know right now, God, what, what does God want to say to me? Anybody want to know? Right? You want to hear from God, right? Oh, what does God want to say to me? I can say it with 100% confidence. He wants to say to you, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And if you look at his face right now, you will not see someone who's disappointed that you didn't pray enough this morning. 
Sometimes you look at your father's face, your father turns away. Also. Right or not? Sometimes even your pastor turns away because your tithe was too small. <laughs> right? Yeah, you can see disappointment in people's eyes, right? I tell you, when you look at your father, you will never see disappointment. You will see a well of love which you can even jump inside. He's always communicating love. And it's not love based on what you do. It's a love that he communicates because that's who he is. And when you learn to live from that belief, from that standpoint, the gospel, our life changes. Amen. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at PayTM. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.